ask you this. Let, let, let me ask you this. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Sports Central. Chicago Sports Conversation with Adam Hogue. Go, go, go. This is Sports Central. On demand and streaming live on WGNRadio.com. Welcome in. Happy Good Friday. This is Sports Central. Yesterday was a good Thursday for Chicago sports. What a day it was, and we're going to dive into it all today on Sports Central with you till 2 o'clock on WGNRadio.com, the WGN Radio app. Uh, we're going to have a little certainly covered for you today, the Final Four as well. Someone who can speak on this, I know it sounds random, but Wisconsin assistant coach Howard Moore. But he can speak on Loyola because he used to be an assistant there. He was the head coach at UIC for five years, so he certainly knows the Chicago basketball scene. He grew up in Chicago. He played in it. He coached against Michigan this year. He beat Villanova in the tournament last year when they were at one seed. So he's going to get us fired up for the weekend of basketball and be able to speak on all these teams. Kevin Powell is in uh, San Antonio as well. We'll check in with him. And Harry Tidowitz is sticking around today for the entire show. I am looking forward to it, Adam. It's going to be so much fun. A, a ton going on with sports. You know, the, the baseball se- I could not go to bed Wednesday night. I mean, I literally slept yeah. for about an hour because I was so excited for, for baseball. Right. And, and then on top of that, you got Final Four happening, and Loyola's like, of, of the four four seeds that have gone... I always thought like that George Mason was the craziest, didn't belong. But Loyola's got to be that team. Porter Moser's first six years at Loyola, they did not have a winning record. Yeah. And here they are in the Final Four. You know, Jim Nance was on the Dan Patrick show this morning, mm-hmm. and he's certainly called a fair share of Final Fours. I think like 33 of them or something. Mm-hmm. And he said that this would top Villanova in terms of Cinderella champions. Uh, what year was that, 80? 85. So that was the... That was the year Loyola was also in the Final Four? Uh, not in Final Four. Last oh, no, they just made the tournament. the tournament. That's right, that's right, right that's right. Sweet uh, 16, I believe. But, I mean, that just puts it in perspective of of how... Bi- if Loyola was able to win these two games this weekend, and it's going to be certainly... It's going to be challenging. Um, but if they were able to do it, 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 it would rank up there as one of those all-time... I mean, right now we're already at the level of, like, this is certainly one of the biggest Chicago sports stories in a long time. Um, you know, I would say it's even bigger than the Cubs winning the World Series. What? Just, just kidding. Just kidding. Okay. Just kidding. Okay. Just kidding. Uh, but that brings me to something else that we're going to talk about today, which is this being sensationalized a little bit. Uh, maybe a little bit too much, which we'll talk about really? a little bit later on in the show. But I let, look forward to that. Let's rewind to yesterday and just enjoy what was an awesome day. You couldn't sleep Wednesday night. I couldn't sleep Wednesday night. Uh, but thankfully, the action yesterday kept us awake all day long. And it started early in the day. The Cubs had the first game. They were officially, uh, I don't know why they picked the Marlins to help kick off this season because they should be demoted to the minor leagues at this point. Um, but the first pitch of the entire baseball season. It started with a bang for the Chicago Cubs. Orania to Hap, and a drive to right. Go, baby! What were you saying, J.D.? Yes, sir! Go! <laughs> oh, baby! Oh, my! Ian Hap drilling the first pitch of the season into the seats in right. Rizzo hit by a pitch and scored a run in the first, and a drive to right. Well hit, it will go! Into the upper tank. 3-1 to Schwarber. In the air to right. 
It's deep. And it is gone. Third homer of the day for the Cubs. Len Casper on WGN-TV yesterday as Hap, Rizzo, Schwarber all go deep for the Cubs. It was a day of Chicago home runs, but, you know, it's exactly what you expect the Cubs to do. It, it was it was really cool that uh, first pitch of the season. It's been over 30 years since Dwight Evans did it for the Red Sox. Really cool. The first pitch of the season is a homer, but... Of course, because I can't ever let things go, Adam. Mm-hmm. Why wasn't Ian Happ allowed to play against the Dodgers last year in the NLCS? I'm with you, man. I'm with. I'm with you. The kid came up. The kid came up like a month into the season. Had 26 taters, and they're playing Jason Hayward every game. I I I I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to tell you about that because I, I completely agree with you. I think Elmora should be playing more, too. Elmora should be in center, Hap should be in right, and then Hayward comes in late in the game defensively. Well, and that's the thing, okay? Um, how do you handle that? I'm tired of hearing about Hayward's value and how much money he's getting paid. You play the best players. I'm trying to find this right now, though. Uh, Joe Sheehan tweets too much. He tweeted something yesterday that was like, Basically, that Schwarber should be benched. Benched? I, I'll, I, I'll, I'll find. A, I saw him hit a home run yesterday. I'll find. He did hit a home run, but you saw his two horrendous plays in the outfield he's, he's, as well. He's hard to watch. He, that's why I always thought he should be a DH in the American League. Get a pitcher for him. The Cubs did a good job of addressing their pitching needs in the offseason. Yeah. So he, but it was along the lines of the Cubs need to get over their Schwarber crush. And play the best players with the idea that you can afford to take Schwarber's bat out of the lineup and play Almora out there, who's still going to get you plenty of offense. He looks like he can play the game, yeah, I, and I, he's an incredible defensive player. Well, I just, what's your reaction to that as a Cubs fan? Well, I, you know, I, I think I'd rather sit Hayward than sit sit Schwarber. Boy, careful, don't say that five times real fast. Yeah, I, I, I think their best uh, outfield would be uh, having Almora in center. Happen right, and then Schwarber and left. You know, if you didn't play Kyle Schwarber, I'd put Happen left, and and then Hayward and right. But Jason Hayward just hasn't hit since he's been here. It's the best thing the guy has done in two years. Uh, he made a great catch in um, San Francisco. He's made some. He's unbelievable defensively. Mm-hmm. But a, a guy that doesn't hit, who's great defensively, should be a shortstop okay. or a catcher, not your right fielder. So I, I would I would say that uh, Jason Hayward should be the guy that comes off the bench. So Joe Sheehan, here's the tweet. This mm-hmm. is yesterday. Pretty much immediate reaction to Schwarber's two bad plays in the outfield, and, and, and they were awful. He said he tweeted, "I don't care what Schwarber might hit. Albert Almora is the more valuable player. Get over your crush, Cubs, and play the best players." And Joe Sheehan, by the way, knows what he's talking about. He's been covering baseball for a long time. Writes for Baseball America uh, and has a fantastic newsletter that comes out. I respect his baseball opinion. It's usually based on analytics and actual data uh, to to support that. So I, I think this Schwar- Schwarber thing is certainly one of the bigger storylines to follow all year. Now he follows it up with a home run, which is what you want him mm-hmm. to do. But can he hit for more average? And can he just not kill you in the outfield? That's the problem. He killed you twice yesterday. He makes the hard plays. 
And then he butchers the easy plays. Yeah. That's what's that. If you remember that game that, against the Yankees last year that went long into the night, uh, he made an unbelievable catch in that game. I, I also like the fact his dedication to his physical conditioning. He dropped about, what, 20, 25 pounds? Sure. But uh, if they were to trade Elmora for a pitcher, that would probably, you know, that would probably bother me more than trading Schwarber for a pitcher. And I, here's the reason why Theo and Jed love him, and you know this. It's it's hard to find left-handed power. Sure. Okay, so, and, and Almora is by far your best defensive outfielder, and right now he's your fourth outfielder. So I, I, I would be up for seeing Hayward um, starting games in the dugout. Uh, I, well, I think that's the easiest solution. Right. But it's apparently what they're not willing to do, and I think that's been proven over the last couple of years. We'll see if that changes if he continues to struggle. So the Cubs started things off with a bang, and then the White Sox quickly fell behind oh, 4 nothing. Yeah. the first four batters of the yeah, game. nobody out. And you're going, here's James Shields happening again in front of our eyes. And then he ends up pitching unbelievable for the next five innings, only gave up one more hit, and it was actually in that same first inning. So uh, he gave you five hitless innings, and meanwhile, the White Sox bats came alive. And the 2-1 to Davidson, a swing and a fly ball, deep left center field. This is tagged, bagged, it's a one-run game. Davidson goes back-to-back with Abreu. Here's a swing and a long one to left. Jay's going to watch this ball fly out. Davidson has hit two home runs today. And the White Sox now lead by two at 6-4. to four. What a rocket shot that was. Here's a swing and a long one to left. Down the line to the pole. Is it high enough? He's hit his third home run of the game as Matt Davidson. A three-run shot. And the White Sox now lead 14-4. to four. You heard those Ed Farmer highlights right here on 720 WGN. And Matt Davidson became the fourth player ever, ever, to hit three home runs on opening day. Pretty cool. And he didn't just hit them. He smoked all three of them. According to uh, StatCast, he was the first player to ever hit three in a game all over 110 miles an hour of exit velocity. And he just missed the 114 mark on the third one. The first two were over 114 miles per hour. The third one came in at 113.9. So it was basically three home runs, 114 miles an hour off the bat, which is great exit velocity. And unlike... Tuffy Rhodes, when he did it for the Cubs about 20 years ago, this is not a fluke. Matt Davidson is going to pound the ball. Uh, Carm and I had him on uh, the beat a couple weeks ago. Is that why he's going to? Because you guys talked to him? No, I don't think that's why. <laughs> but, you know, I asked him, I go, is 50, is 50 a ridiculous number? And he's like, oh, yeah, there's no way. Yeah. So I, I settled on 42. Matt Davidson could hit two home runs, you know, tomorrow. Matt Davidson can pound the ball, and this is a guy, when they traded Edison Reed for him, and, and he's not coming up, everybody's like, oh my God, what happened? Was this, was this a bad trade? Whatever happened, he is now at the point where I don't think any pitcher wants, wants to see 24 coming up for the White Sox. No, and it was fun doing the postgame show yesterday, and then driving home, getting home, reflecting on all the baseball, and then all of a sudden this random thing in a random Jets-Blackhawks game happens last night as well. Scott Foster is in the net for the Hawks. He took some warm-ups in the emergency backup situation, and now he's in as we resume play. Tyler Myers, top of the right circle, shoot! And Foster down with a butterfly save! He'll hold the puck and a whistle stops play. Scott Foster on an emergency ATO. 
came to the building today never expecting to even see the ice has come on in emergency relief of Colin Delia and so far touch wood he's stopping them all Tyler Myers over the hawk line firing for the right wing side stick save made by Foster and he gets a big cheer from this partisan crowd at the United Center numbering 21,839 I mean, Scott Foster was, I mean, these were legitimate saves. There were at least three, and I didn't see all 14 and a half minutes. I came in like halfway through because as the buzz was building on social media, that's what got me to flip over. And, but I saw three legitimate saves. Pretty impressive. He, He was, he was like in perfect position. He was using his glove. He was using his stick. He was using his pads. The dude has the, the dude like freshman year at Western Michigan played all the time, and then he played like one game. Yeah, in the rest of his time there, the rest of his time in, in Kazu, he he played like one more game. That guy was in perfect position the entire night. It was it was great to see, <laughs> and you know, and like the first time he made a big save, all the guys on the, okay, Adam when he came in. The, the Winnipeg Jets thought they were down 6-2 at the time he came in, 14 minutes left. They thought they were going to come back. Yeah. Hey, we got we got a 36-year-old barely goalie. You, I would think the same thing. You got a chance. Even though you're down four, you could do it. You got you got plenty of time against a goalie that but, plays down the street at Johnny's Ice House. But, how, how great is that? And they mobbed him. After the game, like it was, and good for look. These guys didn't even know him. I'm assuming they don't really know him. No, they, they just and, signed him. I love Seabrook's quote after the game. Seabrook, it, they honored him before the game of the big ceremony. It was his 1,000th game, and he said, "This is just my entire tonight is a snapshot of my entire career. It was my night, and Scotty stole the spotlight. <laughs> it's awesome. So it was a, some good humor from Seabrook. Yeah, well, I, I thought it was cool that that they had all the Hawks players wearing Seabrook. Jersey for the uh, warm-ups and then this guy this guy stepped up I mean he rose to the occasion and I loved his demeanor after the game he was not like too cool for the room he's like uh, well I remember them telling me to put my helmet on and then I blacked out <laughs> and he goes, pressure someone asked about the pressure is what pressure he goes tomorrow I'll be sitting at my desk I'll be an accountant again he was acting abnormally cool afterwards yeah. like this was a totally normal thing that it wasn't that big of a deal. And by the way, today, he was was turning down interview requests. We tried to get him on the show. I know Steve Cochran tried to get him on the morning show, mm-hmm. and he didn't want the spotlight. So He probably thought that that 90 jersey was going to go on his wall. He was going to get it autographed. It was going to go on his wall, and it was the night that I got to wear you know, a hawk sweater. Yeah. And it, instead, it's the night that he played. He was the number one star. Yeah, it was really cool. So all this happens yesterday. Great opening day for the Cubs. Great opening day for the White Sox. And then this incredible Scott Foster story with the Blackhawks. And this, we haven't even touched on Loyola yet, which is the biggest story of the weekend here as they are in the Final Four. And uh, one of the guests I'd love to bring in to talk college basketball is Wisconsin assistant coach Howard Moore, who, by the way, spent two years as an assistant at Loyola before he started his run as a Wisconsin assistant coach. He was also the head coach at UIC for five years. Grew up in Chicago, knows the area, and can speak on uh, what's happening here with Loyola. Thanks for joining us, Coach Moore. Hey, thanks for having me on. So, you know the scene, you know what it's like to coach in Chicago. Can you put into words right. the really what Loyola has accomplished here and the hurdles that they've gotten over to do it? Well, you know, what it means is just that a program 
you know, like Loyola, has an opportunity to, you know, really put on on display in the national stage what how great their university is and what they bring to the table. Uh, you know, Porter's had seven years to build his program, and he's done it through some, you know, conference changes, uh, athletic director changes. Uh, you know, also a president change. So there's all types of things that he had to overcome in the process of building his program. But the beautiful thing is that, you know, through the struggles and the ups and downs that I'm sure he had, that he, they had, they allowed him to stick with it and to be able to finish what he started. And now you see them making an unbelievable run and, and having the opportunity to showcase Loyola basketball, what Chicago basketball means to uh, a, a school like that. So they're they, they obviously fall into this the, the quote unquote category of mid major. Uh, you coach at UIC. What is is there a, right. a certain formula for schools like that that need to to have it all come together to not not even make a a run at the final four? But every year in the tournament, we see teams that that come together. Is there something that they all sort of have in common uh, to surprise people and and beat some of the blue bloods come March? Well, I, I think the the main common denominator with those teams is the fact that you've got senior-led teams, you know, teams that have veterans and give them the opportunity to grow together, to have confidence, uh, you know, to beat some high-major teams, so-called high-major teams, because they have that continuity and that experience on their team. So, you know, when you have all of that going for you, it really gives you a chance to, to win. And so what you see with Custer and Richardson and, you know, and the guys like the Ingram, those guys are confident players and they're experienced players. And so they're not going to be afraid to go up against a, you know, Nevada or go up against a Miami. Uh, they have the confidence uh, to beat those guys. And obviously, you know, when their system and their philosophy, those are the things that you fall back on as a player that gives you the confidence, knowing that your system is in place to give you the support and give you the ability to go out and, and beat anyone. Coach Moore, despite the fact that there's, well, I believe, seven combined uh, high school championships sitting in that Loyola locker room, the University of Michigan has right. you know, recruited these, these you know, more heralded players, guys that were sure. bigger, you know, more desirable, uh, yet I don't understand, and, you know, and it happened with George Mason, it happened with VCU, there are still people that don't want to give Loyola any respect. Oh, they got lucky. Miami didn't have their best player. K-State <laughs> didn't have their best player. What does this school have to do to not be Rodney Dangerfield? Well, you know what? You just keep winning, you know, and I think that's the key. Uh, you know, uh, Butler was able to do it, and, and look where they are today. You know, uh, Gonzaga, years ago, I mean, no one placed them in the category of, you know, number one seeds and playing for national championships, but they kept winning, and they earned that respect. Uh, you know, and, and that's what you have to do. You have to keep beating the teams that you're, you know, supposedly not supposed to beat. And uh, you got to find a way to enhance your profile uh, year in and year out. So I'm sure that this is going to definitely help uh, Porter's recruiting and staff. It's going to allow them to get into a lot more doors and a lot more uh, living rooms to, uh, you know, be able to uh, show that Loyola is a great place to, to play. Obviously, you got. Chicago to sell. You got a great academic institution, and now you got a basketball program that's on the rise and has accomplished something that no one has seen coming, uh, but has been achieved. And and let's not forget now, 
Loyola is still the only school in the state of Illinois that has a national championship. So, you know, there's a lot that Loyola can uh, brag about and uh, obviously is going to continue moving forward. Wisconsin assistant Howard Moore on Sports Central with us right now and uh, the former head coach at UIC, longtime Chicago basketball guy. And part of the reason why I want to have you on, Coach, is because you, you also faced Michigan this year and can speak to sure. what, what it was like preparing for them. And, and, and I know you have a lot of respect for John Beeline as a coach. Who doesn't the way yes. he, he's done it? Yes. Uh, give us an idea of what Loyola is going up against here against the Wolverines. Well, Loyola's biggest challenge is going to be on the defensive end because what Michigan does is they really spread the floor. And, you know, you're going to have five shooters on the floor at one time, you know, for the most part uh, for Michigan. So, you know, when you're looking at Kretwig and his matchup with Wagner, can he stay in front of a guy like that? Can he guard his ball screens when he's looking to pick and pop and uh, get some separation for shots and driving opportunities? So. You know, Crutwitz feet are going to get challenged quite a bit to, uh, in the game. Um, and then there's going to be other matchups. You know, I think, uh, you know, you got guys like uh, Simpson who's really, you know, turned it on uh, for them. And and it's funny because, you know, in a John Beeline system, if you're familiar with what they do, they run a lot of what we call two-guard offense. So it's a two-guard front with a high post, and they play a lot of actions off of that with some back screens and some pin downs and things like that. And the thing that they're doing now is just a lot more high screen and roll with Wagner and Simpson with the floor spread with a Robinson, uh, Matthews, a Chicago, St. Rita kid, uh, and then uh, Abdul Rahman, who's really come on this year as a senior, and they're just daring you to help and, and you know put yourself in a position where you're coming off of a shooter to help on a drive or you know a ball screen, and they're finding the right person and they're making the right decisions usually every time. So you know it's it's a um, it's a pick your poison type of deal offensively when you're defending Michigan, and uh, that's what Coach Porter and his staff are going to have to figure out and which matchups works best uh, for that type of offense. One thing I've been so impressed with Loyola coach is how easily they've been able to get to the basket. Uh, they, they go on that big mm-hmm. the big run to start the second half in their Sweet 16 game and then the start the game yeah. against Kansas State in the Elite Eight and, and where they hit almost all of their shots. I think they only missed one in those runs. But those mostly right. were high percentage looks and that's why you go on those types of runs. Right. How are they getting to the basket so easily? Well, again, it's 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 kind of the same formula that Michigan uses. Uh, they spread the floor. They uh, have a lot of good spacing out there, uh, and gives those guys angles and uh, and gaps to drive. So you know when you're having those situations where you got to worry about a shooter uh, cornered up, and you got to worry about a guy who can really go downhill with the ball, the spacing is so important that you're not bringing help over with you as an offensive player, and you're keeping the floor wide and spread. So you want to spread the floor vertically and horizontally. And when you've got that ability, like Loyola does, and then obviously what Michigan do do as well, you know it puts your defense in a tough position. So you're going to either give up some driving lanes or you're going to give up open threes. So you're going to have to pick your poison and figure that out. And Loyola does as good a job as Michigan does on the other hand as well. Uh, Coach Moore, you mentioned Muhammad Ali Abdul Rahman, who has been fantastic yes. as a senior. Uh, my favorite, yes. my favorite player on Michigan is this Duncan Robinson kid. Uh, who, yes. Yes. as a freshman, he's playing at Williams College in Massachusetts, yes. and now he's a senior and he's a key member of this Final Four team. How many, right. ki- how many kids out there are there like that? That that uh, freshman year they're on a program of some like Division three school or NAIA school, and then in three years. Right. they could be such a key component of a team like this. 
Right. Well, it doesn't happen often, but you'd be surprised. There are kids out there that may have slipped through the cracks, uh, you know, may have played, you know, at a small school, small high school and, you know, and, and has the ability, but just wasn't seen and wasn't discovered. Uh, maybe didn't play on a high profile AAU team, but again, just slipped through the cracks and was able to go to a smaller school. And, you know, and that's called, you know, th- those smaller schools wind up getting uh, what you would call a, uh, you know, a hidden gem. You know, or, you know, the sleeper kid. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're seen and they feel like, hey, I can play at a higher level. Now, what happened with Robinson was he wound up, uh, I think his coach was leaving the program or retiring. And I think the coach called Beeline because I thought they had a relationship Mm -hmm. and told him, hey, I got a kid here that can fit in your system. And that's the other thing about making that jump from, it may sound crazy, but going from a D3 to a Big Ten school. But I think the biggest thing is, the system is what fit. And with Robinson being 6'8 and having the ability to handle and shoot the ball, that gave him a fit to Coach Beeline's system and what he does offensively. So, uh, you know, it's a rare situation. You know, that, that doesn't happen a lot. But you'd be shocked about the kids that can slip through the cracks and wind up at a, you know, so-called lower-level school or um, a small college school and could even play at a Division One or even a high-major program, depending on what the system is and how they fit into that system. He's Wisconsin assistant Howard Moore. And, Coach, I wanted to ask you about Villanova, too, because you guys took them out in the second round last year when they were also a one seed. How how different is this team from the team you guys beat a year ago uh, and what makes them so dangerous? Because they, I don't know, all these teams obviously played really well to get to the Final Four, but they really seem to have everything clicking from uh, just the, the way that they run their system. Yes, they do. And you know what? I, I think the biggest thing is Jay Wright keeps it very simple. Uh, you know, they don't do anything, you know, too elaborate. Uh, they're very efficient in what they do. Uh, but it all starts with Jalen Brunson. You know, we got a chance as Illinois people and Chicagoans, we got a chance to see him thrive as a high school player and, and, and do really well at Stevenson and win a championship. But I think the biggest thing is, you know, his evolution as a point guard and as a player. Uh, you know, he doesn't wow you with athleticism or speed. But he really, from the neck up, has really mastered that position at this level and has done a great job. Um, but also the emergence of bridges. You know, when you see a kid like that, and last year when we played him, you know, I had to scout. And, you know, he was pretty much a role player for them a year ago. And now he's, a you know, pretty much a featured guy in what they do. And he plays at a high level on both ends. You know, with his length and his uh, athleticism and then his skill set to be able to shoot the ball from three the way he does, to attack and get to the rim, but then defensively use his length to his advantage to get deflection steals and even blocks at the basket. So, you know, uh, as a group, they've really done real well. DiVincenzo, you know, he's really emerged as a as a really high-performance uh, high player for them. And, uh, you know, as a group, they really know who they are. They don't step out of their boundaries too often. Like I said, they keep it really simple, and they're very efficient on both ends of the floor. Uh, last thing before we let you leave. Yeah, Jay Wright keeps it simple except for the wardrobe. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. right. Uh, he's, he's, he's pretty good there. I, 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 when we played him last year, 
I had to tell him that, uh, you know, I, I got to get his Taylor's number, man, because he's pretty good there. Yeah, very strong. Uh, so Chris Mack, <laughs> is, strong. Chris Mack is taking the short drive from Xavier to Louisville. Hurley has yeah, the UConn yeah. job. Yeah. Do, you, do you see Porter Moser staying at Loyola for a while and building his program there? Or do you think there's just going to be an offer that financially he's not going to be able to turn down soon? No, you know what, and I mean this sincerely, I can see Porter staying at Loyola. You know, I don't think he's the type of guy that runs for, you know, and not to say there's anything wrong with it. you got to take care of your family and you got to, you know, give, give your family financial stability, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I, I can see Porter being a guy that feels pretty comfortable in what he's doing and where he's at, but also just wanting the stability to continue to build Loyola. Uh, they've made the commitment to uh, enhance the facilities and build them a practice gym, which is much needed and, and huge uh, from that standpoint. Um, and they'll, I know they'll make a, a financial, uh, you know, uh, obligation to him and try to help him, you know, uh, establish his worth. And, and he deserves that. He's worked for that. He's earned that position. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure that they'll do what they can within their means to make him comfortable. Uh, and, and I think that's important. But at the same time, I can see Porter staying there, being very happy at Loyola, and um, and doing a really good job to you know continue to enhance that program. Hey, hey Harry, you know Coach Coach Moore is a White Sox fan too. Aww. Huge, huge. Nice start White for the White Sox, Sox yesterday. <laughs> I'm very happy. I've been very patient. You know, you got the Philadelphia 76ers fans yelling about trust the process and all of that. Well, hey. Us White Sox fans have trusted the process pretty well as well also. So I'm hoping that this, this trust and this patience starts to pay off. You know, I'm looking forward to getting back to, uh, what is it called now? Uh, uh, some, Gu- guaranteed some rate. Guaranteed rate. It's always going to be Kaminsky to me. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back to the south side of Kaminsky Park and, uh, and hanging out and, uh, you know, letting my son, uh, you know, bask in the glory of White Sox heaven. So, We'll be uh, we'll be making that trek down ninety to some White Sox games for sure, and I'm hoping to see that ball leave the park for our side uh, quite often with this group. Well, coach, you let me know when you're there. We got the White Sox on WGN now, which is really cool. And I'm, oh, beautiful! I'm, I'm be handling the post game show. Anytime you want to come on and talk baseball, we could do that too. Oh, I'd love to, man. That's my first love, by the way. That's my first love. All right, thanks Especially so. Winning ugly team in '83, man. That's my group. I still got one of those T-shirts. <laughs> I, I, I still, I, I still cannot. Britt Burns pitched so great in in that oh, ga- wow. in that game on on Saturday. I still can't believe what Dubzinski okay. did. What Jerry Dubzinski did, running around third base. They they should have locked How that dude it? up. <laughs> <laughs> should have thrown him in the Chicago River, coach. There you go. There you go. Yeah. All right, Coach. Enjoy That's the Final stuff. Four. Have fun in San, hey. San Antonio. Thanks for coming on. Sounds, sounds great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Take care. All right, Howard Moore, the assistant coach at Wisconsin, former UIC coach, uh, and, uh, you know, to get the Badgers back in the tournament next year. Yeah, what a uh, shocker that you would find a way to get the Badgers into the Final Four conversation, Adam Hall. It was a very creative, informative way of doing so. Uh-huh. Don't you think? I still can't believe Wisconsin lost that game. That championship game, I thought they had it won. That's just mean to bring up. We're going to take a quick timeout. Come back with Kevin <laughs> Powell. What? Um, yes! What? Um, now! What? Let me think, let me think. Ooh. Yeah! Good talk, Coach. Thanks. Maybe we should stick the radio. He's got a point. <laughs> Chicago Sports Conversation. This is Sports Central with Adam Hogue. Hey, here's a good PR move from a local 
minor league hockey team. The Chicago Steel the uh, from the United States Hockey League announced Friday that the cl- club is hoping to sign Scott Foster. So they have not signed Scott Foster. They're, they've sent out a press release to say they hope to sign <laughs> Scott Foster. It's got a little uh, Dave McGinnis feel to it, doesn't it, Adam? <laughs> it does. It does. It does. It definitely does. All right. Kevin Powell is in San Antonio. We should have done the show in San Antonio. All our guests are in San Antonio. Why are we not in San Antonio? Dude, we should have done the show. We should have done this show anywhere where KP is because where KP is, that's where the action is. Hey, Kevin, did you ever think in your your very accomplished uh, sports reporting career, you've already covered a World Series, that you would be at the Final Four covering a nun? Uh, I did not. No, never. Absolutely in my life did I think that this is um, what would happen. But it's it's pretty crazy. She's she is the rock star of the Final Four. We uh, had about a 15 minute press conference with her this morning here at the Alamo Dome, and it was like insane. And how many media reporters and cameramen were all packed into this one room talking to her. Um, yeah, she is by far the story of, of Final Four so far. Hey, can you clear thing, something up since you're you're down there? Because there was a viral photo going around showing the the Sister Jean press conference, which was jam packed, and then Marcus Towns' press conference, which had literally three reporters in it. Uh, yeah. And and it was actually sent out by Brian Casella, who's the Tribune photographer. Uh, wasn't just like some random person. Yeah, but you got to keep in mind those are breakout interviews, which means basically they have five players in five different individual conference rooms, and they're all going on at the same time. Yeah, but so, so like you, you but that wasn't at the like, same time as the Sister Jean press conference, right? No, no, no. right at right after Sister Jean, then we did like a breakout press conference with five players. Like for example, I walked into Clayton Custer's and it was me and two people. So yeah. it, you know they took a photo of that, but then. Five minutes later, it was packed with like 20 people. And people were just trying to get material from every player. So you bounce from player to player to player for a few minutes at a time. So it's not like everybody's talking to the, a certain player or coach at the same time. So I wouldn't take too much stock into that picture. Have, uh, have, has you, have you or anybody else uh, mentioned to Custer that uh, the Alamo is uh, kind of where uh, General George Custer had his last stand? <laughs> Uh, I haven't, no. But now that you mention it, I'll absolutely go check out Clayton Custer and bring that up to him. That's, yeah. that's, good, that's some good Harry Tynowitz insight. Uh, that's <laughs> that's what I'm here for. So the moment wasn't too big for Sister Jean. No, she said she wasn't nervous, but she said, you know, she still uh, can't believe all the attention she's getting. Um, you know, one, one of my favorite parts of, uh, of uh, talking about Sister Jean today was, um, you know, basically... She, Clayton Custer said that she likes to write down the scouting reports on Michigan, and she's been handing it to the players like secretively, and then they bring it into the locker room because she's worried that one of the cameras or a microphone is going to pick up what she says about Michigan. What is she, John Fox? Right. That's basically, yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, she's worried about it. So, you know, she gives scouting reports to these players before every game, but she said she's being particularly careful this time because there's so many cameras and microphones. She doesn't want Michigan to get a hold of her scouting report on those guys. Does she think none of the coaching staff at Loyola would be doing this? Well, this is her routine. You know, and the player said today after every game, um, and she's been doing this for a while, she sends out emails. The 98-year-old team chaplain sends out emails to the players after a game, basically breaking down how they played individually, 
and how she thinks the team can play better. So every night the players will get a uh, an email from Sister Jean breaking down uh, their play for that night. Okay. I wonder I wonder what Sister Jean's email address is. Should we take some guesses? Oh, yeah, we could do that. What is Sister Jean? Sister Jean at a- is she AOL? She's got to be AOL. Let's, let's be yeah, honest. She's got to be running the AOL. Gmail or anything she, like that. No, she's like she's like at, at god dot org. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. She, I, I did manage. Um, I hate. I would never do this with a player, coach, ever, ever, ever. Because one, you could probably get your credential ripped away from you. But it's just. Um, I, I did manage to get a selfie with Sister Jean. I had to do it, guys. I, I hope you're not judging me for it, but I no. talked to her for a little bit, and uh, we were on the on the court um, as Loyola was holding their open practice, and I'm like, we take a selfie? And she's like, of course, let's do it. Super nice lady. Obviously, um, could have been nicer. So she is uh, She is the story here. It's, it, it was pretty incredible. They We asked the players about it after if they had seen how many media members were talking to her, and Dante Ingram was like, yeah, it was like you were, you were talking to one of the players and poor Moser cut him off. He's like, what are you talking about? That was like walking past a Tom Brady interview at the Super Bowl. That's how many people were packed into that conference room. It was, I don't know how many, but it was a, uh, it was dozens and dozens of reporters. It was basically gridlock in there. Hey, KP, the University of Michigan has more living alums on the planet than any other college. Villanova, you know, they've never loved their basketball program more. And Rock Chalk Jayhawk, that's where basketball was invented. How many Chicagoans, how many of those, where's Waldo, uh, maroon and gold scarves, will we see tomorrow when we watch the game? I think you'll see a good amount. I talked to a couple of them today. I talked to one lady who had a pretty cool story. She's made it a yearly tradition to go to the Final Four. She's been to every Final Four for the past 20 years. She happens to be a Leola grad. She went there in 1985, the last time they were in the tournament. So she's finally getting to see her team, Leola Ramblers, in the Final Four. Um, talked to some other people that traveled down from Chicago, and they had bought tickets just to go to the Final Four, and then they lucked out, and, and Loyola was in the Final Four. So, yeah, Michigan, I would say right now, outweighs everybody. Um, I've seen quite a bit of Kansas. Actually, the hotel I'm at, I was as I was leaving, a, bu- a, a couple of buses were unloading like a ton of Kansas fans. So yeah. um, I think Glenola will make their voice heard. I, I've seen a, a good amount of them here, and there was a good amount of that uh, maroon and, and gold in the stands as uh, Loyola held their open practice today. Anything else we should know as this uh, game tips off tomorrow, 5.07? Uh, what else is going on with the Ramblers down there? Um, you know, for me, just the whole thing just feels fitting. It's it's a holy weekend. It's Good Friday, first time with multiple Catholic schools in the Final Four since 1985. A nun is the rock star. It's Easter weekend. It just all sort of kind of feels fitting. And, um, you know, the team kind of said that today, too, that, that uh, they're still going to stick to what they would do. Even if they weren't playing, they're going to have a mass today and a mass on Sunday um, and have a, have a meal together as well. So, um, I know you guys kind of broke down some stuff earlier, but um, you know the thing that they've continued to stress. Clayton Custer's mentioned this a few times. For me, it's going to be turnovers. These teams are just so similar that it's going to be one of those weird games where it's intangibles. Uh, Michigan has the second best turnover rate in the nation, where Loyola kind of struggles in that area. They're 131st in the nation in turnovers. Um, I think that's kind of what it's going to come down to is turnovers and just sort of weird intangibles with this game. But I absolutely believe Loyola can beat Michigan. I would not be surprised at all if they if they pull another upset off. 
That that would be crazy. Uh, I I got to cover the uh, Final Four once, my Mike and Mike year, and uh, the Saturday game. It was the year Shane Battier and uh, Chris Duhon and and Duke uh, took out Arizona. But Saturday, I was like upstairs, way in the corner, horrible seat, and then people leave. And mm-hmm. so it's Monday night, I was in the third row, at, you know, courtside. Do you know where you're sit? Do you know where you're going to be located tomorrow? Yeah, the seats aren't too bad. It's on the north side of the court, um, so it's not court side or anything like that. But it's it's not bad. We'll be behind the Ramblers student section, which should be pretty cool. But yeah, they actually hooked it up. I was anticipating we'd be up in the nosebleeds, but we're like the first. They've blocked off the first. I want to say ten to fifteen rows in the like north section behind the court. So not the best vantage of the world, but it's certainly not the nosebleeds. Plus, I mean. It's one of those events that, like, I covered the Super Bowl this year, and I'm in the auxiliary press box area. You're mm-hmm. up in the upper deck pretty high, but it was cool. I mean, the whole thing's just cool, so it doesn't yeah. doesn't really matter. All right, Kev, well, enjoy the game tomorrow, and, um, you know, any exclusive Sister Jean interviews you want to send along. You know. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I will if, uh, if you'll allow me to plug real quickly. We're going to have kind of a Loyola special program tonight from – about 7.10 to Blackhawks Hockey at 7.30. So it's going to be myself and Chris Bowden for about 20 minutes just talking Loyola, and we'll play back some audio from today and kind of uh, recap the past two days and look ahead to tomorrow night's game. Awesome. We'll be listening. Thanks, Kev. All right, boys. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, KP. Terrific. So let's clear something up because there there was a photo that was tweeted out by Brian Casella Mm -hmm. from the Tribune Mm -hmm. that had – a bunch of people in Sister Jean's press conference, three people in Marcus Towns' press conference, and it was tweeted with, it said that Sister Jean and Loyola player Marcus Towns have simultaneous media availability at the Final Four. And that apparently was not the case. KP just told us that was not true. There, and Jeff Dickerson from ESPN 1002 has also tweeted out that um, this was all, the players have like you have multiple availabilities with them. Mm-hmm. The availability is great. This was Sister Jean's only media availability at the Final Four. That's why everybody was there. And it was not actually at the same time as the player availability, which is in five different rooms and the locker room being open. Solves that. Okay, not a big deal. However, I do want to say... And I'm not necessarily criticizing them for this, but Loyola certainly is milking the Sister Jean thing. Are you saying Loyola is milking Sister Jean? (laughs) I didn't. No. Milking this Sister Jean thing. You should have led with that. (laughs) That was like, what was the, uh, we we were talking about this off the air. What was it? Was it? Violetta, who said something like, because uh, John, we were talking about this earlier before the show, and John Williams said, are you saying that she's getting too much exposure? <laughs> and then Violetta made a joke about that, and that would be a top story. It would be a top story. Um, you know, you can could, you could look at it that way, um, but I, I also think that, you know, the dynamics of it. This is a 98-year-old woman that can fend for herself. Mm-hmm. She's she's get. I know she's in a wheelchair right now, but she's moving pretty good. She's handled every interview. She's got a good sense of humor she's great. about I, herself. I, oh, well, for, and I'm not putting any blame on her for right, this. right, right. But you're, you're, yeah. but you're, I mean, should it be more about the team? Well, should it that's... be more about the kids, the hard work that Porter Moser, after six losing seasons, has this team in the Final Four? 
Well, and that's why I get back to these pictures that were, if they were really simultaneous press conferences, mm-hmm. and I was, re- now obviously Kevin was there, and this was not the case, so right. I'm not saying Kevin did anything wrong, but if that had been the case with two press conferences at the same time, what I would have done, and I'm not say- telling anybody how to do their jobs, but I always have a backup recorder, and I would have set it up in the Sister Jean room, hit play, and left. And then I would have gone and done my job as a reporter covering the players and the coach and this basketball game that's being said. And I would have loved the fact that there's only three people in there because I can get a much more intimate interview oh, with the yeah. player and, and do my job to, to get some things out of him that no one else would then have. Um, and so that's how this was presented on Twitter. And this is why Twitter's always, you know, you always get, you always need context. Grain of salt. And it's hard to get context on Twitter. Um, so anyway, I'm glad that that's not the case. And... But I do think that the players are kind of taking a back seat here to Sister Jean. And I, I don't know. It, it's not that it's, it's not deserved, and it's not a, she is a huge story, and it's a cool story, and it's adding to the whole thing. But I do take a step back, and I have done this a few times over the last couple of weeks, and said, you know, I mean, in Marcus Towns' case, he's the one that hit the buzzer shot. They're not, they're not making it to the second round without him. You, you know what? Here, here's what I think has happened with this, okay? Loyola was an 11 seed, as we all know by now. Loyola was an 11 seed, and they won their first game on a last-second three-point shot that should have been worth four points because it was so far behind the arc. And I think they looked at Sister Jean as a one-shot deal. I think they thought Loyola was going to be one and done, and this is Sister Jean's moment, and let's be sure to include the one shot of Sister Jean in one shining moment. And now that Loyola's in the Final Four... (laughs) <laughs> and Sister Jean is like getting her own sitcom. You know, she's getting her own talk show. I, I, I think they just don't know. I mean, th- there's no stopping her. She's like the Express. She's a runaway train, never going back. She she blew up on them. Yeah. Well, and I understand why. I understand why. So uh, it's all a very cool story, and I hope Loyola beats Michigan. That's great. not easy. That'd be great. My, my wife went to Michigan State. On Saturdays, football season, she'll come in. First question isn't how are how are the Spartans doing. First question is, is Michigan losing? <laughs> so I mean, there's a thing, you know I, I mentioned before. There's more living alums from the University of Michigan than any other college in the world. But there's a lot of people also that find uh, Michigan to be pompous or arrogant. And Jim Harbaugh doesn't help that. Now Beeline does. Beeline is likable. I, I really I love John Beeline. I, he's so easy to love. He's awesome. He's great. Uh, but Harbaugh kind of, you know, plays to that reason why some people don't like Michigan. Michigan couldn't get anything right for a long time there. They were really struggling as a program, and John Beeline came in. What a hire. I mean, that is a hey, hire that just turned everything the around. The Tommy Amaker years? Oh, man. I covered some of those those games. They were not very good. He's had a nice run at Harvard, by the way. Tommy hey, yes. All right, we'll take a, our last quick time out here, come back with some buried headlines. Got a couple good ones for Love you. Love the buried headlines. This is Sports Central. All right, wrapping things up on Sports Central, sneak in some buried headlines on what was a, a, us reacting to a very busy day in sports and getting ready for the Final Four. But I loved this one yesterday. Michael Sarami. He is a he writes for Bleacher Nation, which is a it, it's a Cubs blog, not okay. Bleacher Report, no Bleacher, Bleacher Nation. Okay, so he tweeted right before the game 
that if Ian Happ hits a leadoff home run to start the season, he would jump in Lake Michigan. And? Kudos to him. He didn't wait. And he must live right by the lake. He posted a video of him jumping in the lake an hour later. It's outstanding. And he didn't just like kind of go in slowly. He he went to the beach, so he kind of did a running start and went <laughs> totally submerged, didn't complain, didn't say how cold it was, and then someone tweeted him the water tweeted at him the water temperature. It was 41 degrees. That's uh, awesome. Good for you. You know, guys have in the past done things and they have to uh you know, they have to say, well, I, I, I want to do this for charity. I'm not going to do it till I set up a charity. This guy just went and did it. The ball was still in the air. Hadn't come down yet, and he did it. You know, a college roommate of mine, and this is kind of that age group where I think mm-hmm. you do this stupid stuff. Um, it must have been, it was either when Frank Thomas was playing for the A's or the Blue Jays. I think it was the A's. And it was a playoff game, I believe. Mm-hmm. I no, think they made the playoffs one of those No one years. remembers him with the Blue Jays. No. And he... He did play for the Blue Jays, right? I believe he did. Yeah, I think so. Um, anyway, I said, Frank Thompson's going to hit a home run right here. And my college roommate at the time said, if he hits a home run here, I'll pour a bowl of soup on my head. He was sitting there eating a bowl of soup. <laughs> was it hot? I think it cooled down enough, but he was sitting there eating it. And Frank Thomas just hits the next pitch out for a home run. And to his credit, he walked, and, and he's also smart for this, he walked into the shower... And did it in there, so it didn't make a huge mess. Oh, genius! And he and he bought, he dumped the rest of the soup on his head. And he invented a new shampoo. Yeah. And that boy's Campbell, name Campbell's. Yeah, and that boy <laughs> that boy's name today is Justin Timberlake. I wish. I'd be pretty tight with JT then. Yes, you would. Campbell's chunky shampoo. Mm. Yeah, you'll be tempted to use a uh, fork, but you'll want to get every drop. Yeah. Um, you got any buried headlines? Do I have any buried headlines? It wouldn't be a party unless I brought them. Okay. Um, uh, a woman was so upset that her daughter um, uh, had illegally uh, bought alcohol that okay. to punish her 14-year-old daughter, she made her get wasted. What do you think of that? She made the daughter get drunk. Uh, so did it work? Like, So I'm assuming the real punishment was then this is what it feels like the next day. Yeah, that it isn't cool. It the, isn't fun. You're just thinking like, oh, I want to get buzzed. But she's, she's 18. She is 14. Oh, the daughter is 14 years old. I mean, I wouldn't have done that. No, I wouldn't have done it either. Yeah. Okay. I think it's a little extreme. Yeah, it's. I think it's a little extreme. Yeah, you know. Did, uh, but it, maybe if she, she woke up the next day and felt like death for a day. Maybe it worked. We'll find out. Was she still hungover? Is she still drunk? I, I don't know. Uh, yesterday, the uh, Houston Astros used a four-man outfield. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I saw that. Um, they had... This was against Joey Gallo, who is batting. And let's see. They put... They sent third baseman Alex Bregman out to left field. So basically, they had the gaps covered... And then only three infielders, and they were all to the uh, right field side of second base. And sure enough, Gallo hit a fly ball right to Alex Bregman. 
And Justin Verlander, who was pitching for the Astros, said he didn't even realize there were four outfielders. <laughs> well, that seems like he should. Yeah, I would think that would be something they'd go over. By the way, um, you might want to take... There's no one at third. We're gonna have, yeah. Shortstop's going to be cheating over, but there's going to be nobody at third. Which, an underrated moment in the White Sox game yesterday, mm-hmm. by the way. Adam Engel was was so predictable last year hitting that the Royals used a shift that last September would have been a great shift. But the Royals, who played the White Sox in spring training, by the way, were out in Arizona with the White Sox, clearly did not do enough scouting because Adam Engel has, at least to this point, fixed that. And I, one of my favorite moments of the game yesterday was Royals put that shift on him and he hit right the opposite way and, and hit an easy single. And you're saying the Royals had the wrong angle. The White Sox had the right angle. Yeah. Uh, can I give you one more quick uh, buried headline? Absolutely. The Finish the sentence. This coming NFL season, the Los Angeles Rams will be the first team that ever has... I'm sorry. Can you say that one more time? Please finish the sentence. Yeah. Okay. This This coming season, the yes. Los Angeles Rams mm-hmm. will be the first team in the NFL... That ever has that ever has male cheerleaders. Oh, two male cheerleaders will be added to the Los Angeles Rams cheerleaders. Producer Ben used to be one a cheerleader. You know, I have a buddy at Kansas who was a cheerleader, and my friends like would make fun of him, like, "Oh, you're a cheerleader, you're a cheerleader." Let me tell you what happens. He played high school football, and he missed the um, you know. Great in high school, but it's hard to compete athletically in college. And he would work awfully hard, awfully long hours with the hottest girls on campus. <laughs> and the athletes are are like trying to, they're sucking wind, trying to breathe because they're practicing so hard. And these guys are spending like four hours a night lifting with one hand. Yeah. You know, the, the, the sweetest girls on campus. They're, I think male chillers are kind of cool. It's all technique, Gary. It's all technique. I, I, God bless you. Th- this is a true story. My freshman year at Wisconsin, mm-hmm. I took a one-credit weightlifting course, which I know uh, it clearly... Don't you wish you had stayed with it? <laughs> clearly <laughs> looks like I failed. No. Uh, failed that class. But the, pretty much the whole class w- was the cheerleaders, male and female. So if you could put up with the fact that the male cheerleaders could bench you... Right. It was nice being in the class with all the female cheerleaders. Hell Yeah. But yeah, these guys were jacked out of their minds, and they could have benched me every day easily. Uh, sophomore year at Nutrier, we got the option of instead of running every day in gym, we could take dance. So instead of instead of running outside, we we would like be with like twelve you know nice girls in their uh, leotard and tights. I like it. I like it. Mm. I like this week. What a fun week! What a fun weekend coming up. The final four, Loyola, uh, AMDG, rooting for the Jesuit school. Ad Mahorum de Gloriam. And you were a St. Ignatius boy, right? St. Ignatius, yeah. So it's cool. Yeah, very cool. And um, will I be be hearing you uh, post-Sox victory tomorrow night? Uh, That'll be a Mark Carmen post. Mark Carmen post. Saturday and Sunday. He'll have that. He's got the weekends. And then uh, I'll be back Monday. Blue Jays. Oh, it's going to be a good one. Don't think Frank Thomas is playing in that game, though. No, I don't. But they got this uh, third baseman, Donaldson. I hear he's pretty good. He's pretty good. All right. 
So that's going to do it for us on Sports Central today. Harry Tynowitz, I'm Adam Hogue. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the Final Four. Maybe on Monday we'll be talking about a national championship game with Loyola in it. And if that happens, it'll be Woo-hoo. Harry who's talking about it. You're filling in Monday on Sports Central. Yes, I will be there for the, the role that normally played by Adam Hogue. We'll be played by Harry Tynowitz. I like that impression. <laughs> Enjoy the weekend, everybody. Thank you.